Hello, and welcome to Lamkin and Elm, a classic horror podcast delving into 90s and back horror since it's 30 years on, the state of physical media, lots of talk about VHS and 4K and all that fun stuff. And we will, of course, dabble a little bit into sci-fi because sci-fi and horror go together so extremely well. And we'll probably talk a little bit of gaming, too, because uh, those all those topics kind of tie together. Physical media, horror, sci-fi, gaming, they all go together. Uh, today's episode, we'll be dealing with the year 1968 and two wonderful films that uh, definitely kind of define that year. It was a very troubled year, as we'll find out. 1968 could easily hang with the tumult we've been dealing with the last seven years. Uh, lots happened. It was a very divisive year. Probably the hardest year the United States and, for the most part, the world endured since World War II ended. Let's begin with assassinations. Dr. King... Robert F. Kennedy, the Tet Offensive uh, happened. And that was, Vietnam was the first war that the media really had more control over what was said than the government. Before that, Korea, World War II, World War I, um, the government had control over the message and they would downplay the bad and upplay the good. Uh, but Vietnam really showed why, what was happening. Uh, and it came into you at a nightly, on a nightly basis. This is something that was very, very new to the, uh, to the world. And, uh, it is, while, uh, it is graphic, it is very important to see that, that, content that what was happening because it doesn't pull any punches and it doesn't allow you to allow a narrative to be written. Uh, I digress. Uh, we, but that is kind of the world that, uh, 1968 was in. Um, and two movies kind of, uh, tell the tale of polar opposites of what we, uh, as a society, uh, we're dealing with our greatest, one of our greatest achievements in mankind was, uh, very much ramping up in 1968, the space race, uh, the space race, uh, if you do not know, uh, was a, we'll say, a PR competition, uh, between the U S and the Soviet union. But, um, what it really came down to is uh, John F. Kennedy and his presidency uh, made it a goal of the United States to beat and land a man on the moon in 1960, by the end of the decade. Uh, they did this, of course, in 1969. Uh, in 1968, uh, there was trouble with the program, the Apollo program, and they kind of did this um hail mary of a well we got to we got to do something we have to we're 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 worried there's delays uh and the US says we're going to just ditch a bunch of the the testing stuff for later let's go to the moon so they sent apollo 8 to the moon and 
uh, then in six, seven months, they were on it themselves. The Apollo 8 circled, circled the moon and took pictures of the ever the first ever uh, man seeing the backside of the moon. Uh, technically, we always see it type of thing, but you know. Um, but that moon, the moonrise show uh, photo uh, is specifically from that super beautiful photo, one of the world's greatest images. Anyway, so you have two things going on in 1968. You have death. You have uh, everybody's dying. Those at the top, Robert F. Kennedy. Those at the bottom, poor guy who got drafted and put in Vietnam. The murder and mayhem and horrible stuff is on is being is on your doorstep, and you had to deal with it. You couldn't get away from it. Now we are just so inundated with uh, content, media, news, breaking news, murder, and terrible stuff that we've become jaded to it. But in 1968, people were not ready for that. And it really... Kennedy's assassination started the distrust in government. The... This Tet Offensive really was like, man, our uh, had the, a lot of the public starting to think, we don't know what we're doing. And it's clear. And why are we still here? And unfortunately for them, they were still there for an, almost another decade. But anyway, we I digress again. In 1968, uh, death is on your doorstep. And that's exactly what one of the movies I want to talk about uh, brings you. And it was never seen before. It was uh, shocking and it was real and it was uh, shot in a almost documentary style. It's like a mockumentary almost at parts, but it's also just a wonderfully brilliant small movie that had is just as important as uh, any any horror movie, and it is Night of the Living Dead. On the other side of that, we have 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, I think both of these movies kind of show are a time capsule of what the what we, they were dealing with in 1968, and it shows. Um, Kubrick, definitely high concept science fiction. Um, it is probably the prettiest movie ever shot. Um, it still holds up today. It'd win an Oscar today. But um, definitely shows uh, what man is capable of and some of the pitfalls uh, that we are currently dealing with. Uh, Hal is, of course... The uh, textbook, if you look up AI in a dictionary, you got to look at It's probably a picture of HAL, HAL 9000, the AI that uh, has problems on the, the mission that's in the film 2001 Space Odyssey. So, and that is, of course, uh, dealing with not only where we came from, where we're going, but technology's role in uh the evolution of our species and our culture. You look at it from the start, uh, that monolith changes early hominids 
allows them to either think about uh, tool use or just gives it either gives them the knowledge, hey, that thing is a club, go use it, or you can use technology, or it gave them the intelligence to figure things out on their own. Obviously, it's very subjective. Um, it could be also means 15 other things. That's the beautiful thing about Kubrick movies. But uh, then it cuts after that. It cuts to um, the future, uh, 1999, uh, the future. And it's about a mission to uh, going to space to something was discovered on the moon and it's quite ironic that we haven't been back to the moon since um the last apollo mission manned anyway um and uh it's just funny to see the like the meteoric rise of technology and where people thought we would be in 2001 and we're not quite there uh sadly no pan am space spaceships and uh first class to the moon uh just hasn't happened for us yet so you go to the moon you witness the other monolith and then it cuts to 18 months later 18 months later you're seeing a beautiful uh well thought out spaceship discovery and the again kind of the doldrums of technology um the they're just so bored this the system the the system's run by ai so the astronauts are kind of just there to hang out and make sure uh the payload gets there so you know they're jogging and doing and drawing and stuff like that so uh kubrick definitely was trying to say hey look putting everything in putting all your eggs into the technology basket uh can get you only so far uh or very uh it is a very dangerous road to travel because just because you're not using uh technology to kill others doesn't mean uh it's not dangerous and if something goes wrong with technology you are lit you are out in the boot you are in it's a terrible place uh to be when technology goes wrong and how obviously the ai ibm uh ai um definitely uh has uh some things to say about his own uh well-being so it becomes a a chess game which is obviously implied because they're they're playing chess against each other um and it just becomes a a warning on don't don't technology uh is important but humanity and what we can do as a uh an intelligent species needs to still be in control or at least don't fall into the trap of hiding in your technology and so obviously things go down dave's the only one left he gets to the moon he has this transcendent experience of moving to the next level of being and that being is living in a baroque room being observed by a unknown entity and then becoming a star child and uh that is the 
Kubrick's and uh, Arthur C. Clarke's idea of what's next for humanity. And then it cuts. So we have the future, the beautiful, clean future. And then we have the dirty, scary, the violence is on your doorstep of Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead is so important. It's such a shame that uh, poor George Romero uh, did not uh, get any money out of it. There was a copyright issue. They forgot to put, they changed the title and they forgot to put copyright on it. And that movie right now is in the public domain. It was from the start. So he didn't make any money on it. And it's sad because I'm sure he lived comfortably in life. He was definitely in his own right, a successful director. He definitely directed two of the top 10 15 horror movies that and dawn of the dead so uh good for him i'm sure he lived a nice comfortable life but it's just a shame because that movie should have been a breakout into bigger bigger better things and it's just it's just a little little side note that uh you can literally go make your own copy of night of living dead and it's free if you wanted to make a special edition of it you can do that i would suggest save yourself the trouble and get the criterion collection it is stunning in 4k blu-ray but anyway we digress again uh back to night of the living dead night of the living dead was the took horror out of the gothic you know I love, I love gothic horror. I love the Universal Monsters. I love the Hammer stuff. I love the cheap stuff. I don't care. It's all awesome. Horror and um, gothic spooky places are, are a match made in heaven. But 1968 was such a eventful year, and it was just brooding. It was building up to a crescendo. Um, and... It blew up in 1968, and um, the the movie Not Only Dead couldn't have been more timely. So it's a movie about zombies. We all know this, but it's how it's shot and what it's. It's not superheroes. It's not the military. It's not um, trained individuals fighting. A force. It is the poor lady that was just going to visit her dad's grave. Uh, this guy that jumped in a truck to get out of a bad situation. A fighting family, and a couple of uh, a, a couple of early twenty somethings uh, in love that are having to deal with the dead coming back to life and trying to break in and eat you, murder you, and. It's at the breaking point of this. This is the start of this zombie epidemic, and no one would be ready for it. No one, especially in 1968, where they have not been so polluted with apocalyptical media. Dawn of the Dead, 28 Weeks Later, The Walking Dead, Outbreak, 12 monkeys like i could just say names of apocalyptic disease movies for an hour uh that's how much we kind of uh we are so used to it there was even a zombie apocalypse guidebook written uh that's where the state of it but 1968 just like they were seeing the real war real warfare and real uh catastrophe 
they weren't ready for that. They were not ready. No one would be ready for uh, Annihilating Dead. So you get this story of these just these poor people that are just trying to figure it out. And it's such a tiny, beautifully shot little one, almost it's like almost a one room movie. And you just get this sense of, especially with Barbara, she is in catatonic. She doesn't understand what's going on. She can't get over the fact that her, her brother's dead. She is not ready for what happens. Uh, no one is. Even and the beautiful thing about the movie is that the hero, who is clearly the hero character, Ben, uh, he was wrong. He was wrong. Uh, his ideas failed. And in the end, he dies um, just like everybody else. And it's one of those things where it's such a shocking end that but we've seen it so many times it kind of it can get lost but like there's a no-win situation sometimes and george romero was brave enough to show it and that is kind of what from 1968 on till the mid set till heck the late 70s uh the the united states kind of just was in a bunch of no-win situations, and we've got a lot of short ends of the stick. And uh, 1968 was it was the start of that. And Donna, or forgive me, neither Living Dead uh, kind of shown showed what the future uh, in the sense of you can look out your window. You can look into your TV and see the the bad of the world, and there's no more hiding it. There's no more spinning it. You have to deal with it. It is on your doorstep. The neighbor's kid, unfortunately, died in Vietnam. Dr. Martin Luther King was uh, assassinated. Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, the Democratic National Convention in Chicago was not there was a riot a very very violent riot and it just was a uh it was a year we we think you know coming through the last three four years of this clown show since uh 2022 or 2020 we think we have the um we are uh used to crazy stuff imagine imagine not being any way ready for some of the stuff that happened in 1968 and ended up happening. Uh, there was a lot of that in the last few years, and I think we're going to come out of it. This is kind of, I think we're going to come out of this era in a, by the end of it, we're going to be wanting some very schmaltzy, feel goody stuff. I think something like ET, for example, that really was the point when the bad part times in the U.S. kind of, uh, or those current bad times, that era, uh, kind of healed itself. And everybody just kind of wanted, they wanted a hamburger. They wanted feel good. They wanted an ice cream cone. They wanted E.T. And it wasn't until 82 that, like, the events leading up to the 1968 kind of started, not, not, not necessarily healing, but 
getting over it and returning to like that comfortable normous normalcy of America. So getting back on topic of 1968 and this this era of film and what it created. 1968, obviously there was death on the door, but there was us in the sky, our greatest achievement and our worst behaviors all in one. Uh, it's kind of, that's why I, I wanted to focus on these two movies and tell you my thoughts on why 1968 is one of the most important years in cinema, because just by those two movies, uh, you don't have to watch, There's you can not watch any other movie of the late 60s but those two and kind of get a sense of the culture at the time. And uh, it's just very important to know they're both beautiful in their, the way they're shot and they are polar opposites. Stanley Kubrick's 2001 is the most beautiful movie. Definitely shot to that point, probably one of the best all time. And to Romero's credit, he grew. Uh, Nine Living Dead is just as stunning in its own right. It's so stark, and bl- that black and white is perfect for it. And he was he was a maxim. He could maximize every shot through editing. He was a, a wonderful editor. Actually, got his start uh, in local area commercials and. Uh, of all things, Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers was a proponent of Romero's uh, abilities, and he was very uh, supportive of George Romero. So that's just ironic. Such a a show that's so wonderful and kind, and Romero went on to make the one of the most important horror movies ever created. Uh, so it's just the beauty of both are not only in. Uh, what they say on the paper on the, uh, with the dialogue, but those things that are behind there just, and you can kind of peek in and you see what you, you see what you want, but there is this overarching uh, concept in both of the state of the world and what we have, the tools we need to go forward. And it's just couldn't, uh, couldn't ask for two more beautiful movies and such a good year in film. Um, now talking about their impact, uh, it's easy. Let's talk about 2001 first. Uh, everything from The Simpsons to video games uh, have been influenced by 2001. Um there's tons of car. It's the music. The soundtrack obviously is uh, pulled from German romanticism and modern uh, modern score. It really kind of brought back the idea of having a orchestral score in movies. And going forward, the uh, most movies are now scored in a uh, a orchestral form especially big movies and uh it's just you can't the music obviously john williams was inspired by uh what he what he how it was put on to film how it was used and 
Um, you can also see visually Star Wars was heavily influenced by it. George Lucas himself has said that the Death Star was directly influenced by uh, 2001, uh, the, the, the sphere of it. Uh, you can easily tell that. And, of course, the first shot of the movie is a long crawl of a giant spaceship uh, coming into frame. So, pretty easy to see those influences. Another big influence, at least for me, where I've seen uh, 2001's uh, influence. 90s Squaresoft had a fascination with... Uh, some of the ideas of 2001 Space Odyssey. Uh, if you do not know, Squaresoft is the maker of the long-running, long-successful uh, Final Fantasy series. Uh, they've spanned from NES to modern consoles. Uh, I think the la 16 just came out late last year, and it was uh, definitely still highly rated. I have sadly not played one of the newer installments. I kind of uh, fell off the ship when they changed some of the combat style and just uh, those things. But uh, definitely in the 90s, they had some ideas about 2001. Two, the two examples I want to tell you that I think are important and heck, you can go play both of these games now on modern consoles or modern computer on Steam and such. Uh, Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VIII. We'll talk about Final Fantasy VIII first because it is the more... It's visually and auditorially very much uh, influenced by the to the movie 2001 uh there's a it, it overarching story uh standard japanese rpg stuff of the late 90s to now a group of high schoolers are going to save the world and they have a flying ship and you know those type of things standard rpg stuff but um there's a scene where you have to go rescue your love interest from uh, being entombed in space because she is unfortunately and uh, going to turn into an evil sorceress. So uh, the high technology uh, civilization in the world uh, has, a, has a, a way to stop this. They put her in a prison in space. So she gets shot up to space on like a very um, Jules Vernian like uh, shoot out of a cannon way. It's like a maglev thing where they shoot it up in space off a big old high-speed high ramp type of thing. Really cool. Uh, but there's a scene where the hero of the story, Squall, uh, gets in an EVA suit and goes out and saves his, his lady friend. And it is 100% um, cribbed from 2001. Uh, it's in 2001, Dave goes out and rescues the, the other astronaut and he uses the EVA pod to, uh, find him in space. And, you know, it's, he's looking and he's looking and then this little speck comes and then you just see the outline of, a an astronaut, uh, suspended in space. And, uh, it is 100%, uh, 
attributable to 2001. Uh, the music, too, um, definitely inspired at that point, inspired by Blue Danube. And just, it's a wonderful game. You should go play it. Uh, it is one of the more underrated Final Fantasies. Um, you can get on Steam, you can get on modern consoles, and you can do the easy mode where you can just play through it and have be leveled out and just experience the story, which is a good one. It's very pretty. Uh, the, the soundtrack is stunningly awesome. Uh, Nobuo Matsu was at his peak in, in those, in those 90s uh, days, and it's a funky 70s, late 60s, early 70s funk-inspired uh, soundtrack with a little bit of uh, romanticism uh, put in there to boot. Now, Chrono Trigger is a little, it's not as out there. It's like, it's not visually, um, inspired by it. Chrono Trigger is my favorite video game ever, uh, to start with, uh, so I might be a little bit biased, but it is generally, if you put a top 100 video games of all time, I dare, it's probably in the top 15, and it might be in the high top 10s a lot of lists. It's a perfect little RPG, Japanese RPG of the 90s on the Super Nintendo slash Super Famicom. Uh, it's about time traveling and trying to save the world from this, uh, space alien that looks like a giant tick or chigger uh, that burrows itself down in the earth and grows strong and then uh, erupts from the ground and destroys the world. And you find this out because you accidentally time travel, time travel into the future and see the bleakness of what could be and you vow to change it. But towards the end, uh, you get the sense that there is a higher power or some overarching not conscious or but there's somebody kind of set putting you into these set pieces to uh, kind of it's almost like your journey was engineered and they talk about how why are we getting to see these key parts of the, the history of our world and what there's somebody out there that's controlling it and wanting you to succeed. And it, it's one of those things that's kind of very much subtly uh, touched upon, but it, it really does. It is completely influenced by the movie 2001, a space odyssey. Uh, those monoliths, set humanity on a course and their touchstones in our development. Early hominids learned to think uh, in a high order and use tools. The We are, can only discover that the second monolith, because we have the technology to go find it on the moon, we can go dig it up. We could go do that right now if we wanted to. Uh, the third one, a little bit harder, travel to Jupiter and uh, jump into the next plane of existence on a 20-minute, uh, what I'm sure is wonderful acid trip if or whatever you want to do, um, and come out of it as a, a baby. <laughs> but um, it, they take... they 
take that influence. And while you don't become a space baby, you definitely save the world, happy ending, tears of joy, all that fun. Uh, so from a personal level, uh, those are two of my two of the fondest member memories of me growing up and getting to to play through science fiction. That's what kind of was the cool thing about 2001. You're experiencing it. It's a feeling of a movie. Game gaming by the 90s got to be where it was you are experiencing it with your direct input. So, uh just because they're different mediums doesn't mean that they're uh not similar and not wonderful in their own right. Night of Living Dead's influence is definitely easier to see. Um, not that the visual, um, beautiful awesomeness of 2001 isn't in, uh, influence isn't easy to see, but a lot of horror definitely changed because of Night of Living Dead. It took it out of the, it took things out of the castle and put them in the streets and put them in the the uh you're right out front your your front door and the 70s would go on to really show that um the influence being think about the the horror of the 70s the the key the the big horror you know the most important stuff um the exorcist what would you do in that situation it's in your house you know it's the bedroom next to yours that uh it's your your loved one uh Halloween, uh, the crazy killer is not Frankenstein in a castle or the thing from another world out in the Arctic. It's a, it's a, a unstoppable killing machine that is knocking down your door. And though that is what the, that's what Nine the Living Dead did. It let, it opened the world to, filmmakers to be a little more daring and really be more gritty down to earth. And I think the new Hollywood stuff of the seventies definitely helped, you know, uh, the world of the seventies and early eighties was definitely a gritty, dirty time. Um, if you look at the history of major cities in the seventies, the they were war zones. They were, you know, buildings being burned down for insurance money and roving gangs. And it, it all those scary things they talk, we talk about today of crimes is more crimes, bigger and all that fun stuff. Uh, it was actually in existence in the 70s, and we, aside from, uh, on the whole, statistically, we are in a safer world today, but uh, that's the story for another show. Wrapping things up, talking about these two movies, it's just pretty apparent that the, you know, watershed, key moment, all those things are just... Uh, superlatives that you could say about these two movies. Uh, we are just living, we're now living in an area post-1968 films like Night of the Living Dead and uh, 2001. So uh, definitely check them out if you have not. Um, Night of the Living Dead is fun in any format. VHS, terrible copy, finding it on YouTube, buying the Criterion 4K, just watch it what, however you choose, uh, and it'll be good. 2001, 
definitely helps having a 4K television, 4K ultra high def Blu-ray or streaming if that's what you got. Um, I know a lot of people are not buying physical media anymore, uh, but and the, the 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 big thing too of audio having a good set of uh, uh, good little home theater system and or if you can't do that, plug a set of headphones into your TV. It's you can find the way Bluetooth whatever. Uh, it's an auditory dream. It's stunning in every way. Um, I think the biggest thing about uh, what Kubrick was going for was that it's not really a movie about characters and dialogue it's about you experiencing the movie in a kind of almost look at 2001 as you're that species or whoever is creating those monoliths and you're experiencing what's going on with with humanity and it's just an auditory dream and stunning visuals so I definitely recommend if you're going to watch it, watch it in the best way possible. I mean, watch it however you can. If it's a DVD, if it's whatever format you have, just go watch that movie again. And it definitely ages, gets better with age. And even in a world where we kind of live in this uh, hot takey, short clip, breaking news, uh, top 10 world, uh, it's a movie that it takes a while. It it goes at its own pace. It is, you're there on a ride and just uh, love that ride and be ready. Put the phone down, put the, you know, make sure there's no other stimuli around. Just experience that movie. There's very few movies that you just need to shut everything off of and uh, tune in and 2001 is one of those. So uh, wrapping things up, I just want to say thank you for listening. And this is my first true episode. And I hope it gets you to watch these two movies if you've not seen them. Uh, And if you haven't, I envy you because uh, it's like listening to your favorite band for the first time or seeing your favorite movie for the first time or reading the world's best book type of thing it's like it's an it's an experience both of them are uh both of them are incredible and in their own rights and they tell two different tales they are definitely made on two different budgets but they are both equally important in what they've done to shape the media and the movies that we watch today so uh thank you so much for your time and i hope you have a wonderful day and uh tune in again Again, thank you for watching the Lampkin and L podcast. A very special thanks goes out to Jared Vanetta, very good friend of mine. He is base basically he has produced this. He is the producer. He helped me conceptualize uh, what this podcast is going to be. He created the intro. He created the artwork. So I could not do this without my very good friend, Jared Van Nata. You should check out his work. Uh, he is a musician. He is a Renaissance man, we shall say. Uh, his music uh, is under Taipan. It's on all major streaming, YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube Music. So give him a listen. He is a wonderful, wonderful human being. And I just needed to make sure that 
his efforts were greatly appreciated and uh, put to word. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this, and you have yourself a wonderful day. 